Thank you, Nicola. Good afternoon, ladies, gentlemen, honored guests. Welcome to the last panel, and I'm guessing the most uh, much-awaited panel of the event. This is my third uh, time moderating the panel of ship owners, and every year it's one of the highlights of my uh, uh, one of the highlights of the events. Um, all of our panel members. And very quickly, just to name them, we have Mr. Evangelos Marinakis, Mr. Petros Papas, Mr. George Economu, and Mr. George Prokopiu. All of our panel members are operating in a multiple of sectors, and they have comprehensive view of what is really driving the industry across all sectors. Today, we're going to be talking around supply, demand, capital. We're going to touch a little bit upon the regulatory challenges and the environment discussed previously. But just because Mr. Prokopiu will be leaving us in five minutes, I would like him to pick one of those topics and to share his insights, whether it's managing supply, how can we, where do we expect demand to be coming in the next coming years, or what are the resources of capital? If you can share some of your insights, Mr. Prokopio. I'll reply to this, but I would like, unfortunately, Mr. Secretary General left, but I'll pass the message that my, my, my suggestion is to try to implement all three solutions scrubbers, low sulfur fuels, and low speed. And this can be implemented from day one, so nobody loses face, whatever is available, and the ones that they want, the one solution or the other. But what is achievable is the reduction of day one of air pollution. So we are not in favor of scrubbers only, not of adequate fuels, right fuels only, not of slow speed only. All three together and, and uh, uh, ship owners to have the option to follow whatever they fit, uh, they uh, think fit uh, best. Now, about uh, the future of shipping. Uh, always I'm very, very uh, scared to make predictions but as uh, 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 there is no a better way, a more efficient way for transporting goods and, uh, the, uh, and uh, prosperity to be passed of the one region to the other than ships, ships always will be around. And to be successful, innovation, risk-taking, creating new ideas is always the secret. I do believe that the last 5,000 years of history in shipping in Greece confirms and uh, assures all of us that this is going to thrive in Greece for a long time to, to come. And uh, the uh, villas of ship owners and merchants from Akrotiri in Santorini or of Dilos confirms this on the best possible uh, way. Nowadays, we, ha we have the risk of 
losing our competitive advantage versus our friends from East. We have to join them. We have to show to them how we've done it the last 5,000 years. And we have to make, uh, to find synergies that we make uh, uh, joint uh, businesses. Personally, I've followed this model. I tried to find new routes. I, we made history going through the North uh, Sea route six years ago. Now this is a standard practice, but we have uh, uh, the right equipment uh, to do so. We made a joint venture with Sinotrans and China LNG, and we are proud about this. We'll do more of the same. We believe that uh, the trade will uh, evolve and all players can have part of it. And uh, I'm not uh, scared at all about the future. Shipping will be strong in Greece, and Greeks will excel for the years to come. Thank you so much. Sorry, see you after two years. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mr. Prokopiu. Uh, it was an honor to listen to you, even for a few minutes. Um, let's continue. As we said, we're going to be talking around supply, demand, and capital raising. The first topic is supply. And we have seen that uh, excessive supply was driven with the new, uh, uh, new building orders. And it has been said that this has caused much of the, many of the ailments that have been inflicted onto this industry. However, we've seen uh, a slowdown Sophia, in Sophia, sorry to interrupt. Can you speak uh, closer to the mic because we cannot hear you. Okay. Can you hear me now? All right, thank you, sorry. As I was saying, this um, um, excessive supply was driven by excessive new building orders. And many have said that this has caused many of the ailments inflicting this industry. We saw a slowdown in new orders. We've seen more layups uh, and increased scrapping taking place over the past few years. The first question is to Mr. Marinakis. So where are we today in terms of order book and managing the supply balance? As far as the order book is concerned, uh, on the dry cargo side, we have, uh, uh, it's almost 10% of the fleet. On the other hand, that's uh, a low figure because uh, we need to take in consideration uh, uh, the market conditions in the last 10 years, as time is passing uh, very quickly, have not been favorable for dry. And, uh, of course, uh, we have seen uh, many changes uh, in the dry sector. And, of course, uh, the appetite that we had seen in the past with massive ordering uh, has not been the case in the last years. And I think that this is something that is extremely helpful for the market. And uh, if this continues to be the case, I think that uh, we are heading up for much better times. As far as the, the order book in the container, again, we had markets that uh, they have suffered, and uh, again, we have seen tremendous uh, changes in the industry uh, 
in the container sector. And uh, for about a year, we have seen a change in the market. Uh, even though the order book is as low as 12%, we had uh, massive scrapping. And uh, we have seen a recovery in the market. And also, we have seen that uh, prices have gone up uh, between 50 to 100 percent, uh, depending on the sizes. And uh, as far as the order book again for the uh, crude side, uh, we have seen some uh, massive ordering in uh, VLCCs in the last uh, years that, uh, of course, didn't help the market. And, of course, uh, what has happened with OPEC, with uh, uh, the reduced oil production. Also, the, uh, we have reduced inventories. And, uh, of course, we have seen uh, the market for one year now to be suffering. And, on the other hand, this has helped to see a massive scrapping of 11 million tons in uh, uh, VHC versus two and a half million tons, let's say, demolished in 2016. And uh, of course, there is a number of uh, ships, uh, over 100 ships, that uh, uh, over the year will become uh, over 15 years old. And uh, over uh, the next two years, we'll have another 180 VHCs, which, of course, all this uh, is helping the market. and. Uh, uh, we are optimistic that uh, uh, with uh, the scrapping that is taking place and a reduction in the orders, again, uh, as of next year, we'll be able to see a better market. Thank you. Mr. Ekonom, um, what sectors do you expect will do well and which ones may struggle in 2018? That, that is an easy question to answer. <laughs> The tankers will be struggling. They have already been struggling. I think in uh, 2018 has been the worst year since 2009, uh, which is after the uh, credit crisis. The bulk carriers are on the rise, and the prospects are good for the next two, three, four years, with only one uh, proviso that China will keep on uh, increasing the imports of iron ore like they have in the past, because Iron ore accounts for about 30% of the world uh, transportation needs, both in terms of ton miles <coughs> and in uh, actual deadweight tons. And 30% uh, is iron ore. Uh, China accounts for 70%, 70-72% of the iron ore uh, worldwide transportation, the import. So it's very China-related. The rest of the commodities are more evenly spread out. Coal is about 20% of worldwide trade imported into China and 20% into India. And the rest is uh, spread, spread out as are the other commodities. So what is interesting to watch is the cape-sized vessels, because the cape-sized vessels predominantly carry uh, iron ore. The containers, I think, they're uh, on the rise. You have a lot of issues there in what sector to invest because you have different sizes and they seem to be, the trade seems to be constantly uh, evolving. What used to be five years or ten years ago, the best size is now not the best. Uh, it's probably amongst the worst. 
And then you will have obviously new sectors like the LNG, which uh, the Greeks have uh, uh, chosen the right time to invest. It has uh, quite good prospects with long-term employment if you want to have a secured income and hopefully, you know, with a spot market that will be uh, developing as time goes by. Thank you. Mr. Papa, we have seen several consolidation moves across the um, dry bulk and the tanker markets. Is consolidation still a solution for today? Thank you, Sophia. Well, consolidation for public companies is important because it makes it more enticing for institutional investors. But I don't want to talk about public companies in, uh, to, uh, on that question. Uh, in general, I would say that consolidation offers economies of scale on various levels to uh, companies. Um, it gives better access uh, to, to loans. Um, it, we, we're seeing that banks uh, are easier to lend to bigger companies. And what is very important is that when you have a big company, you can get better human capital. And basically, what is it? Our companies are consisted of our human capital. So the, the bigger you are, the better people you can have. And these are the people that make, people make companies. Now, but I don't, I'm not sure that consolidation is everything. Um, if you think about it, smaller companies may have some issues with um, finding loans as easily as big ones, or maybe they do not purchase as cheap as a company of 100 vessels could. However, the, the ship owner that has 8, 10, 15 vessels, he can pay particular attention to his vessels himself. And I think this is very important. He can, his vessels are his babies. When you have 80, 100, 120 vessels, this is not possible to do. So I would say consolidation is important, but I would not, I do not expect anytime soon that smaller companies will be phased out of our business. Thank you. Thank you. So we got a view for the supply side of the operations, but let's look a little bit around the demand side. And I think, Mr. Economy, you started off by talking around China in the poll. So China is deemed to have positive impact in, in actually helping the dry bulk sector. What else is there with respect to dry bulk uh, in addition or besides China on the demand side of the operations? What are you asking? Uh, Mr. Economo? Well, uh, Sorry. I, I think I covered you know, basically you know, the dry bulk is about China because that is the differentiating uh, factor. The rest will grow as it will. The demand, you know, going forward will be of the order of 3%, 4%, whatever it has been historical. It was only during the super cycle that you had 6 or 7%. So the only thing that can change uh, on the downside is uh, China, and that's something that everybody that is involved in the Cape sector especially should be looking at. But don't forget that if one sector suffers, there is some 
ripple effect to the rest. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mr. Papa, uh, again, w with respect to the dry bulk, uh, there are certain concerns that there's a trend of, certain, of some of the large producers uh, creating or building their own fleet to transport. Is that a real threat or is this something that the industry can manage because it's not going to impact it significantly? This is coming uh, later in time. Uh, first of all, just to give you a view of uh, my view of the market, I think that um, the rest of this year is going to be a good year. I think that uh, it was slow at the first half, slower than we expected, but I believe that a lot of cargo has been left behind and, that, and, and that's, coming, um, that's coming on the second half. Uh, I think 2019 is uh, maybe slower a bit because there's a lot of supply, uh, but there's going to be good demand as well. And, and uh, then we are, we are seeing 2020 coming in where I am afraid I hold a different opinion from most of my colleagues. I think that um, environmental regulations are going to help shipping uh, in many respects. Vessels will go, I mean, uh, the, the sulfur regulation, for example, um, and as most of the people will not install scrubbers, is going to, um, they will be obliged to, uh, to burn diesel oil or gas oil that the prices of which are going to go very high in my view and therefore the immediate effect is going to be that vessels will slow down their speed. Every one knot of slowing down the speed of a vessel uh, equals between 5 and 7% less supply. This is going to be extremely important and it's going to be on every type of vessel uh, in, the, in the high seas. So I think 2020 onwards, whether you elect to um, install scrubbers or whether you decide to uh, do gas oil, is going to be a good year and perhaps 2021 and longer than that. Now, you're right in your question about, um, for example, Vale ordering, I think, about 70 or more VLOCs. This is disturbing. And if that example was followed by others, it would be even more dis disturbing. To be honest with you, I, I don't think the Australians have any reason to order vessels. Actually, it's only the Brazilians that need to do that because they're further away and they want to cut their costs. Now, with the 70 plus VLOCs coming in between 2020 and 2022, uh, there's no question it will affect the market. On the other hand, there's about 15 million tons of uh, uh, VLCCs that were converted to VLOCs, which, will, which are over 20 years of age and will have to go for a scrap. And um, it seems that the Chinese will be using higher quality iron ore. Therefore, they will be in importing more from Brazil, which is triple the ton miles uh, than, uh, in comparison to Australia. 
Therefore, yes, I, if, if it was me, I would not order any more capes at this point because I would not want to exacerbate uh, the potential negative effect, but there are mitigating factors. It would have been better if they didn't order. We would have seen a major boom, but uh, I am still relatively positive. If this trend continues of ordering more VLOCs, we better sell them before 2022 and go fishing, as Mr. Lascaridis said. Thank you. Mr. Marinaki, um, what are some of the catalysts that will help the um, tanker market improve with respect to um, its uh, demand side and you know, forecast, not for 2018, but for the future, per se? There are a number of uh, factors that uh, uh, we think that uh, will help the tanker market to recover. And uh, as I said earlier, one is uh, the production of uh, oil that, uh, uh, the massive production of oil that comes now from the US, that uh, the good thing about it is that uh, all this is exported and is scheduled to be exported in the Far East in China that of course provides a significant toll mile effect in our favor. Uh, secondly, uh, we are expecting uh, OPEC to increase uh, production after all the cuts we had in the last two years. And uh, of course, that uh, uh, will help the market. And of course, we expect that uh, the inventories will be increased as uh, right now, most of them are at the uh, minimum levels. And of course, uh, due to the, this uh, distress market and uh, vessels that uh, they are becoming overage, uh, plus the fact that uh, a significant uh, investment is needed in the next years for the balance water treatment if uh, we decide to go for scrubbers, and of course, the special surveys and all the regulations that you need to comply. We see that uh, a lot of scrapping is necessary. And uh, also, the price uh, right now that uh, we see uh, uh, in scrapping is high. And uh, I think that uh, a lot of owners would like to take advantage of this pricing because uh, uh, we haven't seen it many times at uh, this level. So all these factors, I think, that uh, will help uh, the tanker market. Thank you. Mr. Economo, you're also active in the offshore drilling market, Where do you, which has seen some tough uh, periods over the past couple of years. What is the outlook around this market? The offshore market has been hit so hard that it's hard to compare to any crisis that we have seen in shipping since I started, which is the early 70s, the most predominant being in the mid-80s, which lasted five or six years, 81 through 86, 87, whichever way you count it. So this is the equity that has been lost is uh, immense. Uh, at the peak of the market, the two biggest uh, public companies, they had a combined market cap of 46, 47 billion dollars, uh, one of which has already filed for bankruptcy, and the other went down at the lowest 
uh, at $3 billion. So there's a lot of equity that has been uh, burned, and that accounts for everybody that has been in, uh, in that market. Everybody thinks that the price of oil is the predominant factor in getting this business to move again, which is partially correct, because the oil companies have reduced the cost at which they can drill and make money. It used to be $60, $70. It's definitely, depending on the locations, between $35 and $55 uh, dollar equivalent, uh, uh, dollars per barrel equivalent. The problem with the uh, offshore is that because the projects are usually lasting for 10 years, because you start with exploration and then you go into production, which is the longer phase of the uh, process, accounting for 80% of the uh, uh, time, uh, the oil companies are reluctant to commit long term, because once you start a project, you know, you're committed for a long time. So we're seeing this resistance in uh, voting for their uh, CAPEX uh, programs, which they start around this time in the year, and they announce usually in uh, Q4. And those CAPEX, uh, those CAPEX uh, has been going down for all the companies for many years, since 14. They're slowly starting to pick up. So I think there is uh, a long time to wait until we get to a utilization of 80-85%, which can give you a reasonable uh, uh, return. We're now right below 60%. So it will uh, take time and will require financial strength, companies with good balance sheets. I think, you know, whoever has filed, has more or less filed for bankruptcy, there's very few that will have to restructure the balance sheets. A lot of them are in the process. So we'll have to be patient for at least uh, three to four years. Thank you. So we looked, uh, we discussed a little bit about supply and demand, and at least the points that I actually picked up were supply, yes, you have to continue on doing what you're currently doing with respect to building, new building orders, managing that those numbers and also with respect to layups and so forth. But with respect to the market, I see some positive um, movements around the uh, dry bulk, um, some potential in the tankers. So I see that it's, the feeling that I'm getting is that it's, there is some positive moves, but we still have some way to go. Is that correct, gentlemen? With respect to the demand side. Maybe I'm deaf, but I didn't hear the question that well. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm hearing it's an echo. I'm sorry. That's why. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, can you hear me now? Yes. Better. Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm hearing an echo as I'm talking. All right. I was just saying, as we, as we listened to the panel, we heard about supply that we have to continue on managing. With respect to the demand, there is some positive um, comments being made around a number of the sectors, but there's also some potential waiting to really see the market where it was in the good old year time. Is that a fair representation? Some potential what? some potential improvements in the market going forward as a forecast with respect to the uh, sectors. 
that you discussed? On, on the dry side or all on, the de on the demand side. On? The demand side. Demand. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I don't have with me the crystal ball. Um, what we like about the market right now is that it's coming from all sides. It's not just China. There was a point in time that um, China was 99% of the new demand. Now it's the whole world who is doing well. Of course, we also have Mr. Trump. So we have to see what happens there with uh, China, and North Korea. In my view, Mr. Trump being a businessman, he's bluffing. And I think that he will end up uh, with uh, an agreement with China that will be positive for, um, for shipping because there's going to be more grain imports and coal imports from the US to, to China. So I think this is going to be a positive. I also think. The, that the fact that China is going to be using cleaner coal as well as cleaner iron ore, it means that iron ore will increasingly come from Brazil, as I said before, and um, coal may be coming from Australia, South Africa, and the US instead of Indonesia. You know, um, Ton miles are much more important than tons. Uh, so, yes, I'm positive about demand on the dry side. But of course, there's always risks. So if we don't have uh, a trade war in front of us, I think things will go well for a few years. Thank you. Um, let's turn on to cap capital raising capital, which is a concern for shipping industry, given that a number of banks have reduced their activity or exited from the industry. Uh, of course, this is the, uh, felt mainly from with smaller and medium-sized owners. Mr. Marinaki, shipping remains a capital-intense business. Where do you see access to new capital coming from? So, first of all, uh, it's good if you can have a combination uh, between the capital markets uh, uh, and uh, the traditional uh, uh, financing that uh, we had over the years with uh, banks that they like the sector. Uh, of course, in the meantime, we had uh, several funds uh, uh, entering the market and uh, of course a lot of owners uh, had decided to uh, have joint ventures with them. Uh, some of the uh, some of these uh, projects worked well, some others uh, were a complete uh, disaster. And of course uh, the other source of uh, uh, financing available again comes from uh, China and Korea, from the leasing companies and also from the local banks that uh, they are supporting uh, in the last years the sector uh, very well uh, because at the same time uh, can subsidize their uh, shipbuilding industry. And uh, of course, these are a source 
of uh, financing when you have a corporate profile and uh, a good reputation in the market that uh, is available and is available at very competitive uh, terms. On the other hand, as far as the uh, public company is concerned, I mean, we have seen uh, since uh, we were public uh, back in 2007, in the last 11 years, we have seen a lot of uh, crises. We have seen what has happened to the banking system back in uh, 2008, uh, what has happened in uh, our markets. And of course, uh, it has not been easy. On the other hand, uh, uh, our company has uh, managed to pay uh, since uh, we went public in uh, 2007, $740 million in dividends is a record high number uh, for a company that uh, has survived and still has a strong balance sheet and uh, at the same time have been able continuously every quarter to pay uh, such uh, uh, dividend payments. We hope that uh, we'll continue this in uh, the future uh, and uh, uh, we'll try to find ways that uh, uh, we can secure our uh, unit holders uh, that uh, they will continue to get their dividends. We don't know if it will be as high as we have seen it on average so far, but at least it will be something that will be a number that will be competitive uh, to the market right now. So, uh, uh, finalizing with your question, I think that, uh, yes, there is financing available, and, uh, uh, and uh, provided we can come up with uh, projects that uh, make sense, there are people from Far East, uh, from United States, and of course from Europe that uh, through banking, through capital market, through leasing companies are there to support our industry. And uh, of course, you have seen that uh, over the years, uh, Greek uh, shipping uh, either is fully based uh, in uh, Greece or all, all around the world, is prosperous and uh, navigates well during crisis. Thank you. Can you hear me now? Okay. We can. We can. <laughs> All right. Mr. Papa, we, uh, leasing, we heard, is one of the alternatives. Um, we see a number of Chinese and Japanese organizations actually using such agreements for a means of financing. For the shipping industry, do you think that uh, leasing will ever be competitive with the regular traditional bank loans? Or is it just a periodic fix? I think uh, uh, leasing is here to stay. We have more experience with uh, Chinese leasing. Just to give you an idea, in 2017, five leasing banks, CSSC Leasing, Bank of Communications, ICBC, CMB, and Minisheng, actually did deals worth $10 billion. When they started off, they um, would give 80 to 90% finance, but it was kind of expensive finance, was like above 400 basis points of margins, four, four to 500 actually. But uh, the Chinese are intelligent people, 
and they are evolving. And now we're seeing them doing uh, 55 to 60 percent fi finance at equal levels with uh, the European banks. Um, and I think that they're going to move, at the beginning they were going for bigger companies. I think they will move to smaller companies as well in the future, uh, well-managed smaller companies. As I said, I think they're here to, say, to stay. Just to give you an, uh, an example, we did a loan of, I think, $160 million um, a, few, a few weeks ago. And from the, be the beginning to the end, it was just one month. There's no way you can do that with uh, a European bank anymore. So in one month, these people gave us $160 million, maybe more even. So it's important to cultivate relationships with them. They're doing their part. Uh, it was interesting to see that a number of the people that work for these banks actually spoke Greek. So I think that they're here to stay, and I think they're going to be an important source of uh, finance for uh, shipping companies uh, at a time that um, European banks have receded to a major degree. Thank you. Mr. Ekonomou, what about private equity? We've seen some involvement with private equity in this industry. Do we expect more private equity interest, or do we expect current private equity investors to decrease their market presence or maybe exit? I think if you look at the history of private equity, basically uh, shipping was not on the radar of the American investors until the first, started, the first uh, company started going public. We started in February of five, and now there are, uh, a lot of other companies followed, and that's when they started follow shipping. And I think, you know, in their mind, <coughs> they consider themselves to be very astute and very smart, which they are, but they didn't know the business. So they thought, if these bloody Greeks can make money, we can certainly outsmart them. So they started following in our uh, steps. Uh, it took them time to understand that the returns are not as high as they had expected. I think they were uh, taken by the super cycle which comes, you know, every once in uh, a blue moon. And that was the 0408 uh, super cycle where everybody that was in shipping made a ton of money. And they probably thought, oh, this is an easy business to, to make money. Whoever has uh, invested at that time and is still around, they haven't made money. So I think, you know, after uh, becoming seasoned to some extent in the uh, business, they realize that the returns, long-term returns, as an industry average, are not that high. Uh, if, you, if you look at going forward, there is always going to be capital that will be looking to uh, make money in shipping, and private equity is uh, obviously a, a big part of that, and, you know, whether it's American or international investors, but I think they've learned they will be more selective with the partners they choose and with the sectors they choose to invest in. Thank you. Um, another question is around uh, the um, analyst, the Wall Street analyst. You, all three of you, manage businesses 
with the global footprint. You have tremendous networks, global networks. You have built international relationships. You have created a, a, a platform to operate in the global market. But still, Wall Street uh, assesses you or your value for your companies as the net asset value, which is the steal or the breakup value. Why is this happening, and what can you do to change their views? And this is open to all three of you, gentlemen. I can, I can answer first. I think it's a business where you don't have a lot of added value. I'm talking about blue water shipping. Because it's not something that, you know, it's, it's very price sensitive. Everybody assumes that the service is going to be the same, so they expect excellent service and it's a matter of uh, price. The, you, they don't pay in the bulk and the tanker trades, they don't pay more because of reliability, because of quality, and so on and so forth. And obviously, it's, it's, it's a free market supply and demand. So that's why it's difficult to uh, have a valuation that is constantly above NAV. People have done it in the past, and they have used the dividend payout to create uh, the uh, momentum to have a, a company that has traded consistently above NAB because obviously you know you do have companies that trade above NAB as the market moves up or when it's high and below NAB when the market is low. So it's going to be I think difficult to find ways to have companies that over a full cycle or over a long period 10-20 years will trade above NAV when they're involved in the bulk, bulk or the tanker trades. Thank you. Mr. Marinaiki. I think that the, the markets, uh, the shipping markets have not helped um, in the last years uh, in all sectors uh, the investors to have uh, uh, expectations that uh, they will be making a lot of money from our industry and of course uh, that uh, reflects on the appetite, on the demand, let's say, for the, our sales. And that's why you will see, you see that uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, companies are trading below net asset value uh, or close to net asset value. But I think that uh, as uh, uh, markets will be moving higher in our sectors, because it's the first time that uh, uh, we have seen that uh, uh, in all sectors, uh, uh, let's say in the last year, uh, the markets have not performed uh, particularly well, both in tankers, crude product, uh, containers, and uh, in the dry sector. Of course, in dry, because it was much lower before, and in containers, it was much lower before. Uh, right now, we might be uh, satisfied uh, with the current levels. In my opinion, still the current levels are extremely low for a cape-sized vessel or for a 10,000 or 5,000 TU container vessel. And uh, as I said, because of all uh, of what has happened in the uh, last years, uh, the expectations are not there. Now, moving forward as of next year, when uh, uh, 
we'll see that uh, what we expect uh, from the markets to take place, uh, this can change very quickly and you can see that the trading of the shares will be much better and uh, the demand and the appetite will be there. Thank you. Mr. Papa? Well, to begin with, I hope that the fact that we're not trading very much above uh, a net asset value is not indicative of our abilities as CEOs of these companies. Um, I think that shipping companies are relatively small and we're relatively new in, uh, in the, uh, the public markets. And we therefore have not really attracted the interest of institutionals that much. That may be one reason. Then we're in a cyclical uh, business, and uh, most of the um, investors in shipping up to now have probably lost money, not all of them, but a number of them. So basically, I think we need to regain their confidence. We need the number of years of good markets um, in order to uh, start showing consistent profits and, and pay some dividends as well. Um, I'm not talking about you, you pay dividends. Uh, <laughs> So, <laughs> so um, I think that um, uh, the people that were investing in our businesses were actually mostly distressed investors who look at the steel value and uh, not um, mutual funds, for example, that uh, would uh, look at our companies as multiples of EBITDA. As I said, I think as time goes by, this will change. I am very positive about markets, all the markets going forward, mainly because of the environmental regulations that are coming up. And I think that uh, we will soon see uh, most of the companies working above uh, net asset value. And of course, George, when they when it goes up, they overshoot, and goes down, they undershoot. That's uh, a well-known fact. Thank you, gentlemen. Our last question, given we only have a few more minutes left, um, is, is around succession. So at EY, family-owned businesses are a significant part of our business. We advise a number of companies around their succession planning. So, the next generation of ship owners will be the millennials. How will the shipping industry change as a result of having this generation take the lead? And what would you advise the next generation of owners not to forget? This is open to the three of you gentlemen. Uh, thank you, Sophia. Uh, I think, you know, the, it's like the old recipes that don't change. So you got to have a dream, you have to have a passion, you have to work hard, you have to devote all the energy you can to make it work. So this is what the young people uh, should be doing. It's not about being smart. You don't need incredible skills to be successful in a business. I had said that it takes a successful business and you need to have a PhD, which means you need to be poor and hungry and then you get uh, the drive. Uh, now, if you are talking about succession in the existing companies, I think because a lot of the younger generation will not be as hungry as the old generation, you need to build up a corporate structure that can work 
in many ways, you will always need uh, some entrepreneur or a board that is very active to decide on investing and uh, disinvesting uh, from the companies. But uh, I would encourage the young people, it's a good business, uh, it's colorful, it's, you meet a lot of people, you travel a lot, you see a lot of things, you learn about life along a lot in the world. So it is a business that young people should be following. They've been saying that for years, and I hope that we'll see in the next 10 years people that will come up with new and big companies. Thank you. I think that the new generation uh, uh, has, uh, you know, the people that uh, I know and uh, they are involved in shipping, they have nearly everything. They can attend uh, the best universities around the world. They can travel the world. They can, uh, of course, uh, uh, follow what we do. It's very international, the business, and uh, of course, at the end of the day, is if they really love shipping or if they really want to continue doing what we have enjoyed uh, so far. Because I think that uh, one of the reasons to be successful is also to uh, love what you do and enjoy yourself. And uh, of course, uh, you do it with a full appetite, and uh, uh, all this is important. So. Uh, I don't know how hungry the new generation feels to do what we have done over the years. But on the other hand, as far as our companies are concerned, I agree with uh, George. We have a corporate profile. We have the people there that uh, uh, are performing and they are doing their jobs. If our, gen our children can combine with them, they like what uh, we are doing, and they can be competitive without any favors, because uh, in shipping, what, uh, I would what I like from uh, the very beginning since I started is that it's a very competitive market. You have to uh, face the music uh, every day with the new regulation to be more competitive, because uh, in shipping, you don't rely on a political connection on a journalist that uh, will write something good for you or something bad for you, as, let's say, we're used to in uh, Greece all these years, and that's why we have seen that uh, during the last crisis, uh, a lot of uh, big entrepreneurs, a lot of institutions uh, have collapsed, and uh, the strength was not there. was not there because the fundamentals were not there. So I think that uh, in shipping all this, uh, a very competitive environment has helped us to give our very best and perform. I think that if our children uh, love what we have been doing, uh, they will be successful. If not, they might like something else and they can be successful in any other sector. That's how I feel about it. Thank you. I think our children are going to be more ecologically conscious than we are, more technologically adept, and I think that on average they will be better educated than us. However, they are going to be challenged by the fact that there is so much information that it's coming in. It's such a quick quick pace and competition is so much more uh, 
difficult and you need to react very quickly. Um, you do have a lot of information, but you do not have the, the time to discard the static of that information. And therefore, you will actually have to take decisions much quicker than we had to take them, and that makes you prone to mistakes. Shipping by itself is a very cyclical business. One day it's up, one day it's down. So I want to repeat what Mr. Papayanopoulos said in the previous panel. If it goes up and you take a good decision and you make money, and don't, don't inflate your brain. If it goes down and you lose it, don't distress. Exactly the fact that this business is cyclical will give you another chance. Then, before you take decisions, look at the fundamentals of the market. In my view, gut feeling does not exist. Gut feeling is what is in our brains, it's the information and experience being amassed in our brains and makes us take, take decisions. And finally, look at us and don't make the same mistakes we've done. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, I don't think you've made mistakes. I think you've actually set the tone for the next generation. You've actually increased the level of where they need to aspire and actually exceed. Let me close off this uh, panel discussion with respect to, yes, we know this is an industry, a cyclical business with capital intensiveness, but we heard a couple of positive um, comments being made. There, that investors will regain their confidence. Leasing is here to stay. Private equities have learned and that the capital markets will be open for more interesting uh, growth stories for all of you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Capital Inc. <laughs>